Welcome to Desirability Alt, where we'll explore the intersections of disability, desire, and alternative relationships. I'm your host, Angela Carr. This podcast is intended for an adult audience who identifies with or is curious about alternative relationships, including kink, BDSM, non-monogamy, total power exchange, and more. This content is not suitable for those under the age of 18. Get ready, listen by yourself, or gather with your partners and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to episode 15. For this episode, I thought we could talk about some communication do's and don'ts when it comes to alternative lifestyles. We're going to talk about do's and don'ts from the beginning of messaging someone on social media to negotiating a BDSM scene to entering a DS relationship and lastly how to handle a DS breakup. I got the idea for this episode when I was watching Love on the Spectrum episode three on Netflix. If you haven't seen this show, check it out. It explores dating and relationships for young adults with autism. There was a relationship counselor on this episode who was running a workshop on dating. She had the participants do a first date role play. Here were some of the important takeaways from this role play. When you're on a date, don't act like you are interviewing the person. You want the conversation to flow and go back and forth. Ask open questions so they can tell you a little more about themselves and be open to sharing more about yourself. Don't jump far ahead into the future, making statements about how you will get married one day. That may likely scare your date off. This episode makes me kind of wish we could do role-playing for when we meet kinky people online or when we negotiate a scene or negotiate our DS roles. So it got me to thinking, what are the do's and don'ts in the kink world? What are the red flags? How do we best communicate? For some of us with disabilities, we may just be awkward. It doesn't mean that we are unsafe. Many of us are just socially awkward. When we mess up, someone will usually tell us about it. Then we have to learn from our mistakes and keep going, doing better next time. I will share here some tips I have learned from my time in the scene. Let's start with communicating online. Do read the person's profile. Notice if they are in a power dynamic. If so, do not message them looking for a relationship. Most submissives have protocol that they follow. For many of us, we will put in our profile to please contact our dominance before contacting us. So this means do not message us directly and do not send us a friend request before reaching out to our dominance. As soon as I get a message from someone who has not contacted my sir first, that sends up a red flag for me. Whether we're in a power dynamic or not, 
I think I can speak for most cis women and other folks too, that we don't want to receive unsolicited dick pics. Please just don't. I feel like when I get these, the person is just assuming that because I'm kinky and poly that I would want to see that. No, not interested in that at all. I also don't like to receive messages that just say, hi, how are you? Or hi, beautiful. These messages send up red flags for me. I don't like receiving these messages on any social media platform. I feel like nine times out of 10, when I give these people the benefit of the doubt and respond to them, they turn out to be creepy or scam artists. So nowadays, I just don't respond to those messages anymore. Do read the person's entire profile. When you message a stranger that you would like to get to know, mention something you saw in their profile. Maybe you have something in common or you have a similar interest. Make a comment or ask a question about that. Don't make it about sex or play right from the beginning. I get so many messages from people saying, my girlfriend and I are looking for a threesome. No thanks. That's a way to get immediately deleted and possibly blocked if you send me more than one message. I struggle when I'm on the receiving end of some messages that I received today now that I'm a sex blogger and podcaster, especially those messages that just say, hi, how are you? While I want to, while I want people to read or listen to my work and reach out to me with questions, I never know when I get these superficial, hi, how are you messages, if it's someone who's familiar with my work or not. I struggle because I want to be open to people and communicate with people, but I also don't want to open myself up to online abuse or being scammed. I think sometimes there's an assumption because I go on air and I talk about my own sex life that I will want to chat with someone about sex. I have no interest in sexting with people or even flirting with people at this point in my life. Right now, I have enough people in my life that I flirt with, and I'm not seeking another relationship. I'm in a committed, monogamous relationship with my sir. I have friends that I flirt with, and I'm not seeking another relationship. I do not want to flirt with someone I do not know. I fear sometimes that I seem cold or uninterested in getting to know people but it's often because I'm suspicious of people's motives. And for my personal safety, I have to be a bit suspicious and I won't apologize for that. I actually wrote a blog post not too long ago about ways to connect with me and ways not to connect with me on social media. Another issue that comes up for me is when people see me online and want to chat with me. I am personally not a big chatter. I like to check my social media feed and move on. I will get messages at 7 a.m. in the morning when I'm reading my feed and people get angry if I don't respond to them right away. I also work from home, but my day is very structured and I'm busy. I'm often busy putting up content when I'm on social media, doing marketing. 
so I've tried to schedule an hour or two during my day when I will respond back to private messages I receive, or at least messages that I receive that are actually worth responding to. But if you just want to flirt or sext or say hi, I have to learn to protect myself and I won't respond. Scheduling that hour or two means that I can get back to them, but I get back to them when I'm able to, not when I'm in the middle of working. Now let's talk about communication when you go to a munch or an event. Don't ask someone for their scene name or contact information when you first meet and haven't communicated or connected. Just because you meet someone at a munch doesn't mean they want to include you in their circle of friends. Some people really want to take time to get to know people before adding them, especially on FetLife where they may have personal information and pictures of scenes or marks and bruises on their bottoms. Don't talk about sex or play right away. Being on the recipient end, nothing will turn me off faster. Don't assume that because someone is submissive, that they will be submissive to you. They have not agreed to that. Have you even asked them? I personally prefer talking with people who have interests outside of kink. I've had great conversations at munches about philosophy, psychology, pop culture, sports, even sometimes about religion and politics. Of course, religion and especially politics are much more difficult subjects that you may want to steer away from because you never know what that other person believes. As you're talking with someone, do look at their body language. This can be difficult for some of us with disabilities. Ask yourself, does this person I'm talking with seem interested? What does being interested and engaged in the conversation look like? When I ask people questions, how are they responding? Are they being polite and just giving yes or no answers or quick answers or just nodding their head? Are they also asking you questions back? Are they initiating new topics with you? Are they making eye contact with you or are they looking away? If they're looking elsewhere in the room, looking everywhere else but at you, it's likely they're trying to be polite but do not want to be in this conversation. If you get that sense that they don't want to converse with you, move on to someone else. Don't force a conversation if it is not flowing naturally. What about hugging? A lot of folks in the kink community are huggers, but some people aren't. My Sarah actually is one of those folks that doesn't like to hug people unless he's really good friends with them and knows them well. So when we go out, he will say to people, I'm sorry, I'm not a hugger. But I think it's really important that before you go to approach someone for a hug, you check in with them. You ask for consent before just reaching out to try to hug somebody. When I go to hug people nowadays, I've gotten in the habit of saying, are you a hugger? And then I get a yes or a no, and I know if I can go in for a hug. Um, and I think that that's just really good etiquette to use. 
and a way to ask for consent. Actually, now since COVID, I haven't been hugging people at all. And being a hugger myself, I really miss hugging my friends. I've seen some friends during this time. We've done some socially distanced picnics. And that's been really great to see people and to socialize. But I still don't hug anyone out of fear of COVID. And that's a loss. For those of us that are huggers and those of us that like touch, that is a real loss right now with this pandemic. I remember I went to a munch in my area once and a gentleman came over and talked with me. As we were talking, I thought maybe I had met him at this munch before. As I was driving home, it dawned on me, I didn't know him from the munch. I knew him from the church I go to. So I contacted him the next day on FetLife and advised him that at the time, I was not out about being kinky at all, and especially not out when I go to church. And he felt the same way. So the moral of this story is if you see someone in a vanilla space, church, your kid's dance recital, the grocery store, do not approach the person and especially do not start talking about that munch you were at last weekend. You could unintentionally out them just by going up and saying hello, because now they have to explain to their family or their friends who you are and how you met. This forces them to either come up with a lie on the spot or to possibly come out as having gone to a munch and being kinky. You wouldn't want someone to do that to you, so don't do it to anyone else. Reversely, if you see someone at a munch that you know from somewhere else, don't approach them and talk about their vanilla life. Hey, how was work going? Or hey, how's your daughter, Samantha? It is not the time and space to do so. They may not want other people at that munch to know about their personal lives. It's up to them if they want to share their own personal information, not you. What may seem like innocent conversation may not be. I often hear people say they are afraid to go to a munch because they're afraid of running into someone from their personal lives or someone that they work with. This has happened to me, especially if I go to a munch that's close to home. Now, if it's a vanilla friend or coworker, I can say to myself, well, they're also here for the same reason I am. And they most likely don't want to be outed either. And then I have to have that conversation with them to be clear, just like I did with the gentleman from church. Part of my big concern regarding my work is that in the past I worked in mental health and I was afraid of running into some of my clients. So I usually chose to drive over an hour away to go to a munch because I had less fear of being outed if I drove further away. I also was really bummed because there was a local play space, a dungeon, that was really close to my work and I wasn't able to go there because I was afraid of um, folks in the neighborhood seeing me at that place and then, you know, counseling them the next day and that would have been awful. 
So everyone has to make those decisions for yourself of what works best for you. For me, it was driving further away to go to events and lunches. If you're approaching a disabled person at a munch, and I hope you will try to get to know us disabled folks at munches, do not focus solely on their disability. Do ask questions to get to know them and their interests. Do not pity us. Don't say things like, oh, I'm so sorry you have that condition. For someone like me who was born disabled, this has always been my life. It's not something I feel bad about. Don't use terminology for us that we wouldn't use for ourselves. Similar to asking someone's pronouns, you can ask them if they identified as disabled or what language they use for themselves. Do not touch someone's mobility aids. If someone sits down next to me and tries to move my crutches out of the way, that is the same as moving my legs because now I can't stand up to walk away without asking you to put my crutches back where they were. Please just don't. It makes me very anxious. Do not assume that the person needs help. Ask them if they need help. I always appreciate it if someone asks if they can help me. My own internalized ableism will tell me not to ask for help and that I am somehow a burden if I ask a stranger for help, sometimes even if I ask family or friends for help. But when someone offers to help me, it is a relief. On the other hand, when someone just assumes that I need help and they just start doing things for me, most of the time they're doing things wrong or in a manner that's not helpful and it pisses me off. So please just ask before doing anything. Now let's talk about negotiating a scene. When you're negotiating a scene with someone, be sure to tell your partner about any medical issues, including mental health. You should tell them if something, if you know something is likely to trigger you, you need to tell them. Sometimes we don't know if we're about to be triggered in play until it actually happens. So you also want to talk about how your partner can help you if you are triggered. If you get triggered during a scene, do you want to be held? Do you not want to be touched at all? Do you want a blanket and some chocolate? Do you want them to call someone for you? What can your partner do to help you if you get triggered during this scene? Have a plan in place before you play. If you have mobility issues, how can they help you with positioning? What's the best position for you to be in during this scene? How can they help you by handing you? I've had people help me by handing me my crutches after a scene so that I could walk. If you are hearing impaired, how will you communicate with your partner? What's the best way to communicate? How will you use safe words or how will you sign to your partner that you've had enough? In a public dungeon, there are typically safe words of red, yellow, or green. If you're playing in a public space, familiarize yourself with the dungeon rules 
and know who the dungeon monitors or DMs are in case you need help. Know your soft and hard limits, things you like and things you don't like, things you have never tried before but are curious about, and things you would never want to try. These are all things to think about before you get into a scene. If you have a physical disability, what position is most comfortable for you? Are you able to stand for play or do you need to lie down? Do you need help getting into a certain position, like getting up on a table? Are there certain areas of your body where you don't want to be touched? Are there areas of the body where you can't be touched due to chronic pain issues? These are all important things that your partner needs to know. If you're new and just exploring and you find a position that doesn't work for you, start writing these things down, maybe in a journal. This will help you to remember how you felt the next time you play. If you're better at written communication than verbal communication, maybe you want to share this journal with a play partner. Or maybe emailing or texting is a better communication tool for you. Think about how you best communicate with people and use that. Now, how about communication when we're entering a new relationship, particularly a new DS or poly relationship? One of the things that attracted me to DS was the structure. The fact that we put everything out on the line and discuss it ad nauseum before starting a commitment. When we get into relationships and kink, they are often power dynamics or there's often non-monogamy involved, which means our communication level has to be so much higher than in a vanilla relationship. We have to be able to use our words. We have to express jealousies we may have. We have to express fears and concerns that we have. Keeping those jealousies or concerns from your partner can be so detrimental to your health and safety and to the health of the relationship. Sometimes, and I know this has happened with me, we get so caught up in the new relationship energy with a new partner that we can be neglectful of our existing partner. I've made, I've made so many mistakes related to that with my husband. Things I can never take back, especially now that he's passed away. Scheduling is also really important. That's part of why Google Calendar or some type of online calendar system is so important in Polly. Making sure you schedule time with each of your partners so that no one feels neglected. When my husband and I were dating other people, we made sure to have a couple of nights a week together and a couple of nights a week with our other partners. Every week, it was always on the same days. We tried to stick to that schedule as much as we could with our other commitments. Then we would have weekend trips where all four of us would stay in a hotel room together. My husband in bed with his girlfriend, me in bed with my girlfriend. Part of what made our poly relationship work is the fact that my husband did not try to interfere with my relationship with my girlfriend, and I did not interfere with his relationship with his girlfriend. There were plenty of nights when I was in the living room with my girlfriend, and my husband gave us space and went to another area of the house. And I would do the same for him if his girlfriend was over. Then he and I would share a different night together. 
If he had been the type of husband to say, ooh, I want to watch while my girlfriend and I were together, our polydynamic never would have worked. How do you handle breakups in the lifestyle? I think the way someone handles breakups says a lot about their character. There's also a certain way to break up in the lifestyle. Keep in mind that the kink world is pretty small in each of our communities. And so if you and your partners are both kinky, you're going to run into each other at events, and you may even have a lot of friends already in common. You have to be honest about your feelings, not only with your partner, but with yourself. For me, sometimes I think that's the hardest part. I'll tell you about a breakup I had with someone I met in the scene. I've always been a people pleaser, and so when I started to feel unhappy in this relationship, I kept trying to work on it. I kept trying to change myself. I communicated my concerns, but kept thinking we could stay together and work on our differences. But eventually I had to get honest, and I realized I needed to stop seeing this person in a romantic way. I was respectful about it. I asked her to meet me at a diner that was close to her home. So we went to a public place that was easily accessible for her. Even though I didn't want to be in this relationship anymore, I didn't want to hurt her any more than I had to in letting her go. She knew that me asking her to meet at the diner meant our relationship was coming to an end before we even stepped foot in the diner. We had talked about our problems and she suspected what I was up to, but we met and I ended it in person. Don't break up with someone by text message, by email, or online. Do it in person. Show respect for the person that you're breaking up with. When you break up with someone, don't air your dirty laundry on social media, especially when you're both in the lifestyle. I knew that I would run into this woman at events in the scene, so I was respectful about the breakup. I just quietly removed her name as my girlfriend on social media. When people saw me alone at munches and asked about her, I told them briefly that we had broke up and we, would re and we would remain friends. Other people do not need to know the details of why you broke up. It is no one else's business. Don't trash talk your ex. Remember, this is someone you used to love or at least like a lot. I still believe in the golden rule. If you don't want them trash talking you, don't do it to them. We also had a lot of friends in common and I didn't want to put our friends in the middle of our breakup. Friends shouldn't have to choose a side when a couple breaks up. Don't do that to your friends. What do you do if you're friends with the couple who is breaking up? Today, my Sarah and I are friends with many other kinky couples. We've had some that have broken up. So my Sarah is typically friendly with the dominant and I'm friendly with the submissive. When our friends have broken up and wanted to confide in us, we each made it clear to them that even though Sarah and I are transparent with each other when it comes to our own relationship, we don't share with each other information about other people or about our friends that could hurt them. So let's just say that the dominant of the couple talks to my Sarah about their feelings about the breakup 
and the submissive talks to me about their concerns about the breakup. Being their friends, we do our best to each be there for each of them. Sir listens to the dominant, I listen and support the submissive. We don't share any of their personal information with each other. That's how we make sure that we can be reliable, dependable friends to both of them. Not all MS or DS couples are like this, but we've found this works for us. We tell our friends this up front so they know they can trust us. We also do not gossip about our friends to other people. There are morals and ethics that we follow. We keep confidential information confidential. We want our friends to know they can trust us. Even doing this podcast, I have to be careful with confidentiality. I share a lot of my personal story on this show. I never mention names of other people. And if I share a story involving a past partner or a friend, I do my best to get their permission before sharing the story. I want to have their consent to share. So I hope that this episode gave you some good tips as far as communication, do's and don'ts. I hope that this will help you to be able to make better decisions when you're flirting with people online or getting to know people online, when you're going to munches, when you're starting a relationship, and if you have to end a relationship. And also how to support your friends going through difficult times. At the end of every episode, I'll be asking a question for you to consider. Today's question is, what have I left out about communication? What are some communication tools that you use in your DS relationships? I hope you'll share your thoughts with me. Go to desirability.com. That's D-I-S-I-R ability.com and share your thoughts with me. The next episode will be coming out on November 30th. Thank you for joining me today. Stay well. Desirability Alt was created and hosted by me, Angela Carr. Opinions expressed are from my own personal experience or that of my guests. Did you like what you heard today? Be sure to follow Desirability Alt wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, you can also find me at desirability.com or on any social media at desirability. That's D-I-S-I-R ability. Thank you for sharing this journey with me.